Welcome to this week's message from a new church. For more information, or if you'd like to contact us, please visit our website, newchurch.nz. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy this message. Amen. Amen. Well, how are you all doing today? So Simon and Christy are away. Um, they're down in um, Rotorua at a New Life Church down there. Simon's going to be preaching, so be praying for them today. Um, I was just, as I was prepping to get up, I looked at my phone and opened an email, um, which you probably shouldn't do in church. So if you're tempted to do it during the sermon, don't do that. Um, but um, my favorite clothing brand, I Love Ugly, it's my birthday this week, by the way. I didn't mean to put those two things side by side, but I, I usually just let people know my my shoe size US ten, just in case in case you're wondering. On my like Instagram right now, they're like it, I've just put a reminder for all my family that my shoe size is US ten in case they forgot. Um, but I love Ugly, which is that's a New Zealand clothing brand, super cool. Um, they are at the moment giving out mystery bags, not giving out, you purchase it, it costs $200 and you don't know what you're buying. Um, And I just felt like the Lord, I opened the email, saw the word mystery bag and felt like the Lord said that there were some people here and you look at the gift mix that you have inside you and you say, I feel like a mystery bag and I don't know how all of these pieces work together. If that's you, do you want to stand? I just believe the Lord wants to speak to you. Is there anyone today and you look at you look at all of the things that you're good at and you go, I don't know how all of this is meant to work together. God, what are you, what are you saying? Awesome, thank you. Anybody else? If, it can be for many people. I, I just, here's what I felt like the Lord was saying to you is that he has carefully curated what is inside you for a specific mission. And so I just, I felt like as a church, we were meant to pray for these people. And so why don't you just lift your hands um, and stretch your hands out towards them. If there's someone next to you, you could put your hand on their shoulder and and pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for um, these people, God, these men and women who who are saying, Lord, I, I don't know how, why you've given me all of these things together. I don't know how these all work together, but Lord, I thank you that you have curated them specifically for a purpose. You didn't just throw a bunch of random stuff in there, but Lord, you specifically gave gifts to these people for a specific purpose. And so Lord Jesus, today as their church family, we just pray for them right now that they would um, be ones who, who are led by the Spirit, that see the way you're leading, that see the path you're leading us on, God. And that you would start to speak to them and, and, and give them and help them to understand and see how all of these things work together. And so, Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your presence right now, just speaking. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you would speak right now. Just be speaking to these people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, I'm going to preach a message today. This is the second sermon I prepared this week. The first one was out of Revelation 1, and I, I had one part of the, there was, I had one pet, like line. Um, it was, it's in Revelation 1.20, and I just, I wasn't 
sold on my interpretation of it. And so I put the message aside. I, I was writing that until Thursday afternoon. And I was like, I'm not sold on what, I'm, what I've got to say here. I want to put this aside because I actually care too much about interpretation of Scripture to bring you something that I'm not sure on. And so I, want to, I, I might preach it again at a later date. Um, and so we'll, we'll see. I'm going to spend the next couple of weeks doing some more research before I, I finalize what I want to say about that. It's about when, I'll tell you what it's about. It's about when Jesus, in case anyone's thought this through and has something useful to tell me, it's about when Jesus has the, the seven angels, are the seven stars in his right hand, and then he addresses the churches through their angels. And it reads as if, Churches have angels, but I just I I, I don't I don't want to say that because I'm not sure. So that's the specific part I'm working through. I basically tell you that to say I'm really considered. I know I come across um, on the outside as sometimes like a little bit like you know not considered, <laughs> and I say silly things. But when it comes to scripture. And you can be like this in your life. You can be really considered and really specific with Scripture, but kind of like, not like that in every, like, but you can, you can still be funny. You know, like, just because you're funny or just because you like to laugh doesn't mean you can't be serious about Scripture. Anyway, I want to preach a message today called Pop Culture Parenting. Turn to the person next to you say Pop Culture Parenting. Now, I created this term myself. Nobody else has ever used it before. So if in 50 years' time, this is a common saying, know that it was Mitch Gray that started it, okay? So I'm just letting you know, this is on record. We're live streaming. Welcome to anyone watching today. Simon's probably like in the service in Rotorua, like watching to be like, I hope Mitch and Jules don't say anything silly. Because he knows that sometimes I come across as not well considered, you know what I mean? Um, but... This is, the, this is the parenting style that is, um, is done by the, like, cool mum. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Like, does anyone have a cool mum? Like, a mum who's, like, like, gets fashion, understands pop culture. But, like, it's not just cool mums. Or maybe you've got a cool dad. That's fine. That's my goal in life is to be a cool dad. I, I am a dad, so, I mean, I guess, it, you know, maybe. I'm halfway there. <laughs> Thanks for that. Well, I'm going to really, that's going to, that cut deep. But the, the pop culture parenting is when a parent or a parent figure or whatever uses something that their kids think is cool to try and communicate a message. So instead of just being like, hey, Jimmy, do this thing. They'll use something that you think is cool, that, that you know, or you, your kids think is cool. You, you use something that they think is, is cool or awesome or whatever to help show them that, you know, help like make a point. Here's an example because I already do this. At the moment, um, our, our, our kids are really big fans of Hamilton. Not the town, nobody likes that place, but that. <laughs> But the, the musical, um, and which is, is, is so funny to me that like the most popular musical right now is one about the founding of the United States. I mean, I'm a history nerd, and so I love that kind of stuff, but it blows my mind that that's what's popular. 
Anyway, what happened is it was in Auckland a couple of weeks ago. Larissa, my wife, went to see it. Um, oh, by the way, she prefers to be called Liz. And so if don't tell her this, but if you could all just start calling her Liz, like everybody do it today. She, I, I don't think she'll watch the live stream. She's heard me talk too much. She won't come, go back and watch this. But if you could all start calling her Liz, that would actually make her day and would, it would be hilarious. So just do that. Don't shh. Um, anyway, so Liz was, um, so she went down and watched the musical and then came back in like, you know, like when you go do something, your kids want to know about it. And so Oakley, a five-year-old, almost six-year-old, listened to a couple of the songs, the ones that were like appropriate for, um, you know, a five-year-old to listen to. And he's got this great auditory memory. And so he remembers everything he hears, which is definitely, you know, given my you know, sometimes I say silly things. I've got to really be careful around him. Um, but so he remembers the songs. And so for like weeks and weeks and weeks, this is all we hear at our house is just singing over and over and over again all the Hamilton songs. And Everett, a two, three-year-old, his favorite character is George Washington. And there's the song that George Washington sings where he goes, we are outgunned, outmanned outnumbered, outplanned, and Eddie chant, walks around our house chanting this. Anyway, about three weeks ago, Eddie fell off something. I won't say whether it was the stage or not, because then Julian might have to file a report about it. I don't know whether he has. He probably has. He's such a good health and safety officer. Um, anyway, Eddie fell off something about the same height as the stage. And... And when he fell off, he hurt his arm. And you know, like how when kids do it, like they usually just bounce back. He bounced back pretty fine within five minutes. He cried a bit. Um, and then he went home and like later that night started complaining about it again. Um, and then maybe he, like while he was doing that, he climbed up on the piano and jumped off that again and landed on his arm. Anyway, it ended up us going, we're going to need to go late at night um, to White Cross and get this checked out. I chatted to Micah and was like, yo, what's the best thing? Should I go to the hospital? Do I go to White Cross? What's going to take the longest? And he was like, White Cross is probably the best bet right now. Well, I was just at the hospital. Emergency department's going to take ages. And so we went to White Cross, but Eddie was super, super worried about going. And so do you know what I said to him? I said, Eddie, do you know who's brave? George Washington. And that worked for him because he thinks George Washington is the coolest person. And so it worked really well. Um, but I want to I look at a passage today in, um, in the book of Philippians. And so if, we can, if you've got a Bible, why don't you flip over to Philippians? If you don't have a Bible, what are you doing? This is actually, this is, I think it's great that you read and that you like, take notes and stuff. But I'm like, when Simon's preaching, I have my Bible open and I go to every passage he goes to because I want to I be reading it in, in Scripture. Anyway, plus I could lie to you. You know, I won't, but I could lie to you about the context. Um, and if you've actually got a real Bible in front of you, you can, you can check where, what, what's going on in the passage. You can see like the wee titles that people have given it. You can like check that I'm talking about the right topic. Anyway, so bring a Bible with you to church. Why wouldn't you bring a sword to a battle? Anyway, 
I'm actually not disappointed. I'm just trying to encourage people to bring Bibles because I just think it's, it's cool. You know, at youth a couple of weeks ago, we had um, three of the teenagers preach, and I was, my mind was blown at the depth that they brought. One of the guys, he opened up his big leather Bible with gold trim around it and goes, we're going to Revelation 3, and proceeded to talk about how God wants, is going to vomit out those who are lukewarm. And I was like, man, this dude is bringing it. But he bought his big, you know, like it, it didn't... It didn't fit. I had to get him a second pulpit because it didn't, like that and his notes didn't fit on this one table because it was such a beefy Bible. Anyway, Philippians is this, Paul is writing to this, like it's this dope little town, um, like it's like 8Ks inland um, and it's like this beautiful place. It's like, like Otago or like the Marlborough Sounds or like Kerry Kerry. It's like this beautiful winery town. It's in a valley. I'm just like, close your eyes. Just pretend we're on holiday for a minute. It's sunny and it's nice. There's orchards everywhere. You're just walking down the road and Philippi grabbing like nectarines. I don't know what grows in Philippi. Grabbing nectarines and eating them. This is this dope place. Don't go there yet. Don't go to the verse yet. Just wait. Just wait. I want to paint the picture first. I want, to, I want you to know where we are. Um, this is actually really important because the context helps us to understand this like a first century um, Jewish person. Like this, is, this helps us. Um, anyway, so the town had been founded by Philip of Macedonia, who's um, Alexander the Great's father. I don't know if you care about that. Like I said, I like history, so this stuff is cool to me. Um, and in one of the, in one of the um, big battles within the Roman Empire, Philippi sided with the right side. Um, and, and so it became a Roman colony. And so Philippi was one of the few places that, that had the exact same status as Rome. If you were from Philippi, you were a fully-fledged Roman citizen. That means you don't have to pay taxes you don't have to go to war. Like, you have got it made. Like, it, this is a great privilege to be, to be from Philippi. Um, but because, like, tensions in Rome could get pretty, like, stabby, um, like, what would happen is the, anyone that was, like, an ex-general that maybe could take Caesar's place, they would get sent off there. Anyone famous in Rome that they didn't want around, they would send them off to Philippi. And so this town is packed full of these ex-Roman generals. There's gladiators there, the ones that didn't have their faces eaten by lions. There's like all of these like incredible people. There's ex-Olympians, like people have been winning the gold medal at the Olympics. Like the, not like the new Olympics, the OG ones actually in Athens. You know, where they, I don't know what they did. I think that's the one where they run around naked, eh? That's, anyway... And so that was one of those silly things that I just said, you know. And so this town is full. It's this like beautiful location. It's, it's like a winery town. There's vineyards everywhere. And there are all of these Roman generals. There's these gladiators. Like it is a good place to be. It's like a sunny version of Queenstown. You know, like it's just like, like people that live there are living for luxury. And these guys, they don't have to pay taxes. How good would that be? Imagine the pay increase if you didn't have to pay any taxes. 
These guys don't have to go to war. Everyone else is fighting for the Roman Empire, and these guys are just, they've got it made. They've got it sorted. And so Paul is going to write a letter to them, and and instead of writing to them and, you know, dealing with all of the things he normally goes through, because Paul has a lot of specific issues that you, if you read all of his letters, you start to pick up, man, he's dealing with the same thing time and time again. When he writes to them, he's going to address the specific situation that they're facing. And there's a passage in Philippians 2, we'll go there in just a moment, and it's called now, we call it the Christ hymn. And this is why a real Bible is helpful, because when you look at it on your phone, it won't tell you this. But if, who's got a Bible? You want to hold it up? When you look at Philippians 2, you can see here, this is actually like really important stuff to note when you're reading through Scripture. Can you see how this is all like full, and then we get to this part, and it's written differently? Can you see that right there? Anyone with good eyesight see that? Yes, you can see that. It's written like a psalm. And that tells us, okay, he, there's, there, he, right now, there's, he's either trying to say something specific. Usually, it's, it happens when, that, when a New Testament writer is quoting the Old Testament passage or when they are quoting something that the, the people will already know, that they're quoting something that, that they've already heard before. And so what scholars believe is that this Christ hymn was an early church creed or poem or song that believers would tell one another. They would use the Christ hymn because remember, when when the first century church is gathering together and stuff, they're just working off the Old Testament. And that doesn't say Jesus in it that much. Like, at, or at all. Like, it says other things, and you can gra- grab a lot of prophecy and stuff, but it doesn't say Jesus. And so what they would do is they would use these creeds, these statements, that helped new believers understand what their faith was all about. And so the Christ hymn, many scholars think that what this is, is this is a, an early church song or poem that, the, that was spread throughout Christianity so that everyone could, could, could hold to like an authentic faith. You think about now how many divisions there are on belief with a fully finished Bible. Like we, we know without a shadow of, the, of a doubt how like this book is so accurate. There are thousands and thousands of manuscripts that all agree like there are a few discrepancies here and there, and most of it is spelling mistakes. But like, which I mean, it makes me think I wrote it because my spelling is the worst. And even if I spelt it right, you probably couldn't read it. And so I'm telling you the truth. But we we know without a shadow of a doubt that the words in here are accurate and true, and we disagree so much on what it means. These guys didn't even have, you know, maybe they've read one of Paul's letters. Maybe they've read or heard some of the passages from the Gospels. But at this point in time, they're living off of these small creeds, that these, these statements that have been put together by the apostles, by the elders, to help them understand what they should believe about their faith. 
And so let's read this together. This is part of it. This is the, the start of it through most, this is the, from the start. It's Philippians 2, 6 through 8. And if you've got a Bible, you can go there and let's read this together. This is what it says. And I've got it there in context because when we're going to read the verse before and the verse after shortly. It says this, who and the word before is Jesus. So we know they're talking about Jesus. This is what they would say. Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not account, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now this passage, this, which is a, a song they would sing, these guys knew this, I'd heard it before. This is possibly the earliest Christian teaching that we have. This is possibly the earliest, um, re, because obviously we've got the Gospels, they were written down after this. This was written probably mid-50s, this letter. Um, the Gospels are written down around the same time. Um, but in the Gospels, we see Jesus' teaching, but this is the first, one of the first, if not the earliest Christian teaching for, of the church interpreting what Jesus said, of the church affirming and pulling some things together and making it into a short, cohesive statement of things Jesus said, and, and they teach us some incredible things that we, we can see here that Jesus is in the very form of God. From the earliest Christian teaching we have affirms that Jesus is God, that they have an equality together. Now this is like, remember, this is like radical, a radical idea. This caused many Jewish people to believe that Christians were, weren't monotheists anymore. This idea that Jesus and God, that, that they are one. But we don't, even, we don't just see that. We also see that he's in the form of God. And then it says in verse 8, being found in human form. So we see in this early Christian passage we see the idea that Jesus is not just fully God, but he is fully man. We can see how, like, like within like 10 years of Jesus dying, this is probably how early this is, because for it to be well known back then, it would have to be around for at least five to 10 years. This is so well known and within 10 years of Jesus' death and resurrection, the church has an, is in agreement that Jesus has an equality with God, that Jesus is, is God, that he, he is not, he's not made, he's not created, he's not, you know, the, he's not the first creation, but he is God. This is within 10 years of Jesus' death and resurrection. The church was certain on this. We also have, uh, we also have some clear this clarity about Jesus being God and man at the same time. And I I tell you this, and, and I, I labor this point to say, like what we believe today is not 
you know, the things that were decided or figured out by the church, you know, in the third, fourth century, but have been the universal truths of the church from its very inception. And so I I just want to encourage you with this, like take heart, like what we believe like has not changed these fundamental truths that Jesus is God, that Jesus came in the form of God and a man. And we see in here, we see the gospel laid out that Jesus came and he, the, the scripture there says, and he emptied himself. It actually says earlier that, um, that he didn't view his equality with God as something to be grasped. Another translations will translate it as to be used to his own advantage. And so Jesus didn't come to, to just set up an earthly kingdom, which he could have done. He didn't come to you know, make himself the king of the earth. He didn't come to do any of these things. But what he came to do was to, he, he emptied himself. He didn't use his equality with God as something to be used to his own advantage. But he came in the form of a servant. He, was, he humbled himself, he laid his life down, and he died on a cross. And that, and that alone is where we find salvation. It's not in, you know, doing the right things. It's not in coming to church and bringing your Bible with you and, you know, doing all the good Christian things. It is only through his death that we can be reconciled to God. But what Paul's going to do here is he's not just teaching us good theology, it's helpful, but he's actually, he's actually, he's doing some pop culture parenting to the Philippians. He's about to use like their favorite song that they like, you know, they jam to, they put their headphones on and they'll like listen to the beats and it's like, yeah, Christ, you know, this Christ him. But he's going to use this to actually make a point to them. He's going to use this when he's addressing them. He's going to use this just like if I was like, if you, this is probably more for like the teenagers in the room, but like the young people, like, you know, the like reel of the like wife and the husband and the wife's getting the husband to sing the lyrics to Antihero. That is me. Hi, I'm the problem, it's me. And it's her trying to use a pop song to convince her husband that he's the problem, not her. It's kind of like the first century Christian version of that. Because he, he's using this song that they know so well. He's using this Christ hymn, this thing that they, they've heard hundreds, maybe thousands of times. Maybe they, they, they recite this to their children to make sure that they understand what Christianity is about. He's going to use this to speak to them. This is what he says in Philippians 4. This is directly before this. He says this, Let each of you not look only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on to use the Christ hymn. Remember, he's talking to a a, a town. He's talking to the church in in a town that is filled with Olympians, with gladiators, with Roman soldiers, a town that has this great status within the Roman Empire as being a colony. 
And he says to them, don't put your interests above those of others. Don't just look to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And then he uses Jesus' example of coming not to set up his own kingdom, but coming to die the death of a servant to prove his point. See, he's saying the world you've come out of, Roman soldier, gladiator, the world you've come out of is all about doing everything you can to get ahead. The world that you have been brought up in is doing everything. If you've got to stab someone in the back, you do it. If you've got to push a friend over, if you've got to sell someone out, you do it. You do whatever you can to get ahead. But he's saying to them, you're not in that world anymore. You're a part of another kingdom. Your citizenship is not of this earth, but it's of another place. It's in the same book where where Paul talks about citizenship because he gets it. These guys are going to get it because they're Roman citizens not living in Rome. Just like you are heavenly citizens not living in heaven, but on the earth. He's telling them the kingdom that they have come out of works one way where you put your interest above that of others. But in this kingdom, this one that you've come into, this is not how it works. I wonder if Paul was to write a letter to the church in New Zealand today. I wonder if he would say anything similar to us. How similar is our culture? Where it's all about climbing the corporate ladder, doing everything we can to get ahead. To get, I just want to make sure that I can get my piece of land with my white picket fence and get my grocery bill, you know, and my car and my, and everything's about what I can build for me and my family. And I wonder if he would address us in a similar way. Would he say to us, don't let your, don't, don't let your interests come before the interests of others, but follow Jesus' example. See, when the world says accumulate, get all the stuff you can, get as many clothes from I Love Ugly as you can. I'm talking to myself now. When the world says accumulate, Jesus says to give. When the world says gain popularity, rub shoulders with the right people, you know, like build a cool clique in church that are your friends and you talk to them every Sunday. When the world says gain popularity, Jesus says, look for lonely people. When the world says, man, follow your dreams, like do everything you can to achieve all you can do in this life. You just need to be your best you. You just, you you just need to be your best self. You just, you know, you've got so much potential. 
You just need to be your best you. You need to reach your goals, you know, like visualize it and just go out and do it. When the world says, follow your dreams, Jesus says, follow me. And the, when the world says, use your gifts, abilities, your talents to get ahead, you know, like in the Roman, you know, to the Roman generals, like use your ability to stab each other, to like climb the ladder. Jesus says, lay your life down to serve others. See, the Christian life is one marked by laying down my talents, my gifts, my desires, my abilities to serve others and be obedient to God. Now, it's not all bad because we hear a message like this and we're like, oh man, my life is going to suck now. I'm going to be, I'm going to have to, God's going to talk to me like I'm the rich young ruler and he's going to tell me, Mitch, get rid of all your shoes and just wear Crocs from the warehouse for the rest of your life. No more brands. Mitch, you're going to have to wear Kmart t-shirts, ripped ones. Like ripped jeans aren't cool anymore. Like you're going to have to wear ripped jeans because that's all you've got left after I'm done with you, Mitch. And I think sometimes we, we, we avoid this message because we think that's the outcome. We avoid this message because we think, Flip, if I, if I lay everything down, God's going to leave me naked on the side of the road, beaten. And, and I'm not going to have anything left. And, and I'm going to end up like Job. All my kids are going to die. All my possessions are going to go away. And I'm going to be covered in sores, sitting in dung. You know, I'm going to end up like Job if I do this. If I really lay my life down, I'm... God's going to just, he's going to use me. He's not going to. Let's read the next passage because this is what it says in Philippians 2.9. This is after Jesus has died the really painful death on the cross. Do you notice how he says it? He says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That, that right there, that even death on a cross is to make us go, oh, oh, that sounds painful. Oh, man. That sounds really awful. But this is the next verse. This is what it says. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, Jesus could have come and built his own kingdom. He actually got an offer. Satan said, hey, I'll give you all of the kingdoms of the earth if you just bow down and worship me. Jesus could have done it. He actually could have set up his own earthly kingdom and just ruled from Jerusalem and just done his thing. That was actually an option given to him. Jesus could have done his own thing, just worked to his own advantage. He could have just done his own thing, but instead he laid his life down. He came as a servant. He came not in his own interests, but looking for yours. Like he came so that you could be reconciled to God. And as a result, God has highly exalted him. It is the Father's pleasure to highly exalt the Son. He didn't do it in his own 
will. He didn't, he didn't, Jesus doesn't, he, does, he didn't establish his own kingdom, but the Father gave it to him. It was God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, that highly exalted the Son and gave him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name. Now, this doesn't mean that if you humble yourself, you get to be a God. But what I'm pulling from this is that when we humble ourselves, when we lay everything at the feet of God, we then realize that every good thing that comes back to us was not of our own free will. It wasn't by my, it wasn't because I really pushed hard and I really, you know, man, I really earned that promotion. But it was a gift from the Father. What do we read this morning? James 1.17, we read that a, every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Our hope is not in what I can build up, what I can accumulate, what I can earn for myself, but it is found as I lay my life down before God, as I say, God, you can have it all. And this is why worship is so important. I love the way Dan led us this morning. This is why worship is so important because in worship, it's, it is it, they, like you can lay everything down before the Father and say, Lord, I just, I give you everything. I worship you. This is, I'm not living for myself. I am laying everything down. I'm living for you, God. And I was thinking about it this morning. I would way prefer, now hear me out. I would way prefer to be in a church where I saw every hand raised and everybody like full on fire in worship every Sunday, then I would rather be in a church that saw miracles. Now, probably I think if we were, if we were the church that, man, every week we are just all in, I, I, I'm not leaving anything, you know, I'm, I like, I'm giving God everything. I think we'd probably see miracles. But I would prefer to be a worshiping church than a church that prays and sees a bunch of signs and wonders because I want to be, I don't know about you, I want to be surrounded by people who don't, who, man, I'm I'm not living for myself. I'm not living for my own my own pleasure, my own desires, but I am fully committed to lay everything down at Jesus' feet. Thanks so much for listening. We hope it was an encouragement to you. To contact us or to find out what's happening at our church, please check out our website, renewchurch.nz.com.